0: Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. If you would, please turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. And as you can see behind me, uh, the title is A Peaceful Response. And that lion is uh, exactly opposite of what I envision when I think of peace. Uh, It's a pretty vicious lion. And I thank Micah for picking that picture because I think it fits perfectly what we're going to be uh, learning about tonight. Daniel 6 is a very popular uh, Bible story that I'm sure many of you have heard of. It's Daniel in the lion's den. And as I was picking it, I was really uh, desiring to study it because for me, when I get asked to teach, I get anxious. And I know for Daniel, when he was asked um, to stop praying, I can't imagine the thoughts that came into his mind, but the way he chose to handle it was with a response of peace. And for us tonight, when we see difficulties, especially um, just day-to-day lives, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's uh, the political atmosphere, whether it's just going on Facebook that gets you riled up, whatever it might be, responding in peace is so essential. So in Daniel chapter 6, we're going to start in verses 1, and then we'll go all the way through verse 9, and then I'll take a pause. So Daniel chapter 6. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Verse four, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom and administrators and satraps, the counselors, the advisers, have all consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So to give you some background about who Daniel is, this is a little bit later in his life. Chapter 6 is the last historical chapter in the book of Daniel. After chapter 6 starts the prophetic chapters, chapter 7 and so on. Daniel's a little bit older, he was a captive from Israel, in chapter 1 of Daniel we find that he was the future of Israel, he was the bright, he was a smart, good-looking man who was brought, young man, who was brought to uh, the Chaldeans by Nebuchadnezzar uh, to be raised up and used in uh, day-to-day life. We find in chapter 2 that he stands up um, and he's used by God to interpret dreams, in chapter three, it's about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter four, he stands up against King Nebuchadnezzar and rebukes him for the Lord, tells him he's a prideful man. Chapter five, um, he's used as a warning for Belteshazzar, who, after getting that warning, was removed by King Darius. And now, here in chapter six, we see that he's one of the top authority leaders in this new kingdom. Uh, he is one of three governors, or in d- different translations, you can say three presidents uh, under King Darius. And not only that, he distinguished himself. Uh, He was someone who was blessed by God, he had an excellent spirit, so much so that King Darius was ready to put him over the whole realm. And for you and I, when we get blessed by the Lord, when we stand for truth, when we decide to honor God with our lives, when we take those bold steps of faith, there's that saying, I love hearing it, God loves you and he has a perfect plan for your life, he has great plans for your life, but then the opposite is true where Satan hates you, and he desires to destroy your life. Whether it's physically, whether it's uh, your witness for Christ, whether it's um, your standing, um, Satan just wants to make you ineffective. He wants to make you fruitless for the Lord. And for Daniel, he's at this peak. He's older. He's being looked at as being number two in the kingdom. And almost immediately, Satan, without a hesitancy, brings in the governors and satraps, pride and jealousy. It says in verse four, if you pick up with me, says, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. And we're just gonna pause there. I wish that was the witness of all of us in this room. I wish our faithfulness was enough to hinder the enemy. Now, as I was studying this, I almost wrote in my notes, faithfulness will stop the enemy. But as we'll find out in a few verses later, his faithfulness, his, I don't wanna say sinless perfection because he wasn't sinless and he wasn't perfect. But from what we find out from the word, he was faithful, he was honorable. This faithfulness hindered the enemy. It's a lot easier for people who desire to take you down, desire to disqualify you. Um, It's a lot easier for them to look at your life and see the errors and see the faults when you're not covered by the blood of Jesus. You know, if you guys were walking in here today after, you know, maybe spending the day at the bar, you're drunk, you know, you're, you're hungover from yesterday, whatever it might be, it would be a lot easier for Satan to kind of manipulate your witness. It'd be a lot easier for him to manipulate those compromises that you allow in your life. For Daniel, though, he had none. You know, he had none to the point where they could not find. They searched and they searched and they could not find. I think of the elections uh, this past uh, year Uh, There was a lot that came out about each candidate. Each one had their own uh, little thing in their past, not just one multiple on some accounts that came out. And I just think of Daniel like these men were looking to remove him from this place of authority. They were looking to get his name written off the the potential list of leaders, and they couldn't find anything because he was faithful. So with that in mind, uh, faithfulness, I want to touch on that and a few things that help us uh, or why it's important, why we need it. Um, Why it's something that we should desire. Uh, Yes, it does hinder the work of the enemy too. Uh, It's found in Galatians 5. It's a part of the fruit of the spirit. It's something that we should desire along with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all things. Faithfulness is a part of that list. Uh, So we should desire, but it also increases your witness. Everyone notices whether or not you're faithful. And for you and I, that's sometimes a challenging When we look on our own lives, that's sometimes challenging. Are you faithful in everything that the Lord's called you to be faithful in? Whether it's your job, whether it's your role as a person, whether you're a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister, are you faithful in each role that God has given you? Because each role is a privilege. You know, when I look at myself, am I faithful when I study for the word? I think that's probably the the number one thing that I get anxious about. Do I have enough time to study the word? Um, I knew someone that told me, for every minute that you get to teach, you should spend an hour studying And I was like, wow, that's like a 60-hour week right off the bat. That's pretty incredible. Like, am I even up for that long during the week Um, after working and after being here at the office? And I remember for the early part of um, coming up and and desiring to teach, that was always on my mind. 60 hours. Okay, 60 hours. Where am I going to fit 60 hours for my day? And sometimes we we put these expectations that are not necessarily from the Lord. But sometimes there's expectations uh, that the Lord gives us. For you husbands, you know that Christ commands you to love your wives as you love, or as he loves the church. That's an expectation from the word. Uh, For you wives, be submissive to your husbands, that's an expectation. Are we faithful in those areas? Are we faithful to be a good parent? Are we faithful to be a good daughter or son? Are we faithful to be good believers, sharing the gospel, sharing what we have? Faithfulness can hinder the enemy. Faithfulness increases our witness but faithfulness also increases your target. If you're faithful, Satan hates the fact that you are grabbing territory for the Lord. He absolutely is disgusted by your faithfulness. For Daniel, he was a faithful man. Throughout the book of Daniel, we see faithful work after faithful work after faithful work standing in the gap. For you and I, when we do that, not only does our witness increase, but our target does as well. And we see starting in verse four that they tried to find something. So in verse five, when they couldn't find anything, it says, then these men said amongst themselves, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him and concerning the law of his God. So immediately they decide, okay, if he is this perfect image of what needs to be um, seen as a leader, then what can we do to take him out? And this is so clever to the enemy. If there was a second point to this message, it would be the enemy or Satan plays dirty. You know, if he was playing by the rules, he would have left Daniel alone. This guy honors the Lord. He's doing everything right. I can't mess with him. But instead of doing that, he plays dirty. He's going to try to remove you because he wants to remove your witness. And for Daniel, if they couldn't find something bad about him, they were gonna make something bad about him. And for them, we see that they go in front of the king in verse six. It says, so the governors and the satraps, they all throng before the king. They said to him, King Darius, live forever. And here's lie number one. When the enemy plays dirty, he ends up lying. It says, they told the king, all the governors of the kingdom and administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute. First of all, not all the governors were a part of this powwow. I guarantee you Daniel, being one of the governors, one of the three, was not a part of this meeting. He was not asked, so Daniel, we want to come up with this law that's going to trap you and eventually remove you from your area position of authority. They didn't come to him and say, hey, are you cool with this? Or is this something that you approve? Are you cool with saying that our king's going to be like a god? So lie number one, when the enemy plays dirty, he usually brings lies. And what's really also sad about this, sometimes, you know, you have that one person in your life that you know is just a test or it's that thorn in your side. They're not believers. They're just kind of that person that is there to test you. And for Daniel, he didn't just have one, he had a whole group. And don't be surprised if there's a whole group against you. Don't be surprised if your enemies come together. Maybe they were enemies with each other before and now because they have a mutual enemy, they all come together as one great group that just is desiring to remove you and remove your witness and destroy who you are before the Lord. Don't be surprised. These are things that happen daily in, in, not only our lives as believers, but throughout, you know, the world. I can't imagine some of the, the brothers and sisters out in the Middle East right now, what they have to go through. Um, for Daniel, he, he's about to hit a heavy storm in his life where you could say a difficulty. They set up this trap. It's a law that pretty much elevates King Darius saying, hey, king, you're worthy of being recognized as God for 30 days. And if no one does, we're going to cast them into the den of lions. If people acknowledge their other gods or if they acknowledge someone else to be their authority figure, they should be thrown in the den of lions. What do you think, king? Is this something that you're down for? And the king in verse 9, he uh, signs and writes the decree. Now, I think they were playing with his, flat, they were flattering him. I think they got into his ego a little bit. It sounded really cool. You know, I just took over the kingdom from Belshazzar. It'd be fun to make sure we have some unity. You know, if they worship me for 30 days, I would be a pretty good test to see who's in my kingdom that necessarily is following me. If they're not, the lines is a good choice. I don't think he thought it all the way through and we'll see that later in the verses. But now Daniel, like many of us when we're faced with difficulties, has a choice to make. In verse 10, pick up with me. We'll go through verse 18. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying making, and making supplication before his God, and they went before the king concerning the king's decree Have you signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions? Excuse me. The king said, uh, excuse me, I lost my place. The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes a petition three times a day. And in verse 14, we see the king realizing he made a mistake. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, "Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. So immediately we end uh, the first nine verses with Daniel has a choice now to make. And in verse 10, we see that he immediately, once he found out the writing was signed, he went home, he went to his upper room, he went to the room that his windows were open towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks and prayed with supplication to the Lord. His choice was to choose the Lord. He had an understanding of who his God was. He understood how God had delivered him time after time after time. He understood that when this decree was written, I'm sure it shook him. I'm sure he knew that this was something that would affect him, especially if he was doing this from his early days. He knew that if he stopped praying to the Lord, his, his witness that he had carried on from his early days would have been done. But he also knew that if he would have kept going, he would have to trust the Lord to deliver him. And so often I feel like we, we think in those terms where if I stop, I could lose my witness. If I keep going, I can get in trouble. But then there's always that middle ground. What if, what if he was just silent for 30 days? Well, that, that falls under the stopping. Well, he could have done silent prayers, you know? He didn't have to be so open about it. He could have done something quietly. And I think for us, we, we try to find kind of that middle ground of, of not being totally sold out for the Lord still, but also not being totally against what the Lord's doing. You know, I think it would be a lot easier for us to, oh, I can just pray with my windows closed. And I'm really encouraged by Daniel because it didn't matter to him. He knew where his help came from. He knew exactly where he needed to go. He went right back on his knees and went before the Lord, not just in prayers, but in supplications, which means he was praying, he was pleading for help and mercy from God. You know, in and, and supplications, it brought to mind that verse in chapter four of Philippians, if you would turn there with me, uh, chapter four of Philippians, starting in verse six just reminded me that when we come to these places of difficulty we do have that choice and we can choose to honor God in everything we can choose to trust him in everything and as much as I wish I could say I did that every single time I'm human much like many of you and we're sinful and we're we're not perfect but for Daniel being this example of you can do this in such a stressful time and you know that he being in leadership he knew he had eyes on him He had all these things uh, going against him, and yet he still chose to honor the Lord. But in Philippians 4, uh, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I love those verses because I think it perfectly illustrates what Daniel was doing. And those verses came after, way after Daniel illustrated perfectly what those verses meant. He went before the Lord with prayer and supplication, not being anxious, giving it all up to him, and he was given an understanding or a peace that surpasses all understanding. I love the picture of the lion back here because when I think of a den of lions, I think of multiple lions, and I think of a dark hole, and I think of just you and Or me, I think of just me in a dark hole with a bunch of those type of lions behind me. For those of you who are listening on the radio, there's a vicious lion roaring uh, behind me on the screen next to a peaceful title. And when I think of Daniel, he knew very well, like I'm sure he was aware of the consequences. I'm sure he saw many people go in that lion's den, being a leader and authority in Babylon. And yet that did not deter him. And I asked myself, like, would that deter me? And the honest answer would be, yes, that would deter me. That would deter me to, to wonder and to second guess whether or not I should really continue my prayer life. And for many of you, I think if you were honest with yourselves, um, you could say the same thing. Some of you are hardcore, you're like Daniel, and you could totally do it and I applaud you and I'm thankful for you in our lives. But many of you would be, hmm, I could pray with my windows closed or I could pray and be thrown into a lion's den well, I feel like maybe it's from the Lord that I close my windows today. You know, maybe this is a, a, a godsend. I, you know, he is a God of wisdom, and this seems like wisdom. Um, for Daniel, that wasn't an option. He kept doing what he did from day one, from his early days, and he kept it up. What's a bummer, if I can use that term lightly, is that it didn't matter whether or not he trusted in the Lord, at least not for those who wanted to attack him. For them, they saw the trap set, they saw him praying, and now they could finally, we got him, it's done. They were so happy, they were so excited, they were lying in wait. In Psalms 71.10, it says, for my enemies speak against me and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together. They were waiting for Daniel to pray. They were waiting for him to show how faithful he really was. They knew they had set up the perfect trap, the perfect way to remove him from the competition, to get him out of the limelight, and they felt like they won. They go up to the king in verse 11, um, or after they find him, they go up to the king in verse 12, and they say they spoke concerning the king's decree. You know, just a helpful reminder, just in case the king forgot how recently he signed this law. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O oh, king, shall be cast into the den of lions? I can just see, like, you know, there's a bunch of them and only one guy speaking. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember when you signed that decree? Remember when you signed that law? They're just so excited and happy, like an evil just gets me a little fired up just thinking about it. But they all came to before him. I can see them all in the court reminding the king, just being so proud and so happy and so um, just that feeling of being victorious. And they remind him, this thing is true. You know, the king says, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, but does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who's one of the captives from Judah, a little jab, I think they might've been jealous he was a foreigner, does not show due regard for you. Lie number two, just because he wasn't praying to the king doesn't mean he had any less respect for the king than he did the day before the decree was made. He just had more respect for the Lord. So that was lie number two. Um, they say that, excuse me, lost my place again. Uh, in verse 13, from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes a petition three times a day. And in verse 14, the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him and labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And we're gonna pause on the enemies real quick and we're gonna focus on the king. I think the king is a great contrast for you and I. In verse seven, we see that he gave into his pride. We see that he allowed himself to be flattered. He signed a a pretty ridiculous decree. 30 days, I'm your God. 30 days, I'm the only one that you can get authority from. And then we see that after he is confronted, after he sees the plan that was um, really devised just to really take out Daniel, it was a part of the whole nation, but just really essentially to knock out Daniel, he realizes a mistake. And I think for so often for many of us, it's easy for us to like blame someone else. Like he could have said, it was you, you know, it was you governors and satraps that trapped me. It's because of you, I set up this law, but he doesn't do that. He's upset with himself because he understood what he did wrong. He understood that he, as a leader and as an authoritative figure, he made a mistake and he took the blame for it. And for many of us here today, I think sometimes we can just blame others. And as believers, we're called to a higher standard. And if an unbelieving king can hold that standard, I think you and I can also do that same thing. It's not someone else's problem for our mistakes, it's our own. And when we own up to it, the Lord's able to work with a humble heart. He's able to work with humility. If an unbelieving king can do that, I think it's something that we should learn as well because that's something that God calls us to, is humility. He realizes he made a mistake and unlike Daniel, when he's faced with a choice, Daniel went to the Lord for this king. He didn't have the Lord in his life, so he tries to fix it. It says that he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. So all day he was trying to find a way around this, this law of the Medes and the Persians, this, this unbreakable, unchangeable clause, you could say, in the, in the decree. All day he was searching. And I think that's also a good reminder for us. Our works don't cut it. As believers, you're not saved because you're a good person. As believers, we're not saved because we did enough to get into heaven. We're saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And for the king, there was no way, as much as, as hard as he worked, he wasn't gonna be able to change this law. He couldn't depend on himself. He tried, he wasted a day. Some believe that he tried just to delay the day so that he didn't have to kill Daniel so early in the day when this was brought to him. Because I'm sure as Daniel first prayed, his first prayer in the morning, I'm sure those men were right on the king's doorstep right after they saw that and say, hey. he disobeyed the law, time to throw him in the den. So the king was probably delaying it, trying to figure out a way to, to save Daniel, to extend his life. But eventually he comes to this position where he can't do anything more. And the enemy is so relentless because in verse 15, these men are back. and Don't think for a second that just because um, he was able to labor all day that, the, that this group of satraps, this group of other governors weren't just waiting in the wings. Just, okay, you know, let him try to figure out a way to get around it. He's not going to be able to. They were just sitting there. They were, they were patiently waiting. And Satan in our lives, he is patiently waiting for you to make a mistake. He's patiently waiting for you to, to make a, a misturn. He's patiently waiting for you to compromise and for that compromise to grow and to grow and to grow until he can disqualify you. And that's something we can't forget. We have to be ever vigilant, ever diligent, waiting on the Lord. So they come in verse 15, they say, then these men approached the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. In verse 16, so the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually he will deliver you. Then the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went before him or went from him. So we see that the enemy is relentless. In verse fifteen and verse sixteen. King Darius finally comes to a point where he has to follow through. He throws Daniel into the den of the lions and he comes to this place where he finally, his last resort, is to comfort Daniel by saying, I hope your God saves you. I hope for you and I, when we come to those difficulties in life, our last resort isn't the Lord. I hope he's our first resort. I hope he's the first place we go like Daniel. It's a very interesting contrast. And I feel like sometimes we fall in between both Daniel and the king. Sometimes we're like Daniel where we're just hardcore. I know to get on my knees. I know to pray before the Lord. And then sometimes we're like the king where we just try to fix the mistake. If I fix it quick enough, it never happened. If I fix it fast enough, it it doesn't exist. But the reality is if we don't go before the Lord, it's always gonna be there. And for the king, he even had to come to a point where he was able to give his problem to God. And he didn't say it was his God. He said it was Daniel's God. So he's not quite there yet, but we'll see what happens. Pick up with me in verse 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, the fact that he could say anything was amazing, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth. The lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. You know, in verse 17, when they shut the stone, there was two reasons that scholars believe they did that. One, to make sure that Daniel didn't escape, which was the obvious reason. But two, that no one tried to kill Daniel while he was in the lion's den, just in case the lions didn't do it. They felt that him sealing the uh, stone was kind of like, When Jesus was put in the tomb and they rolled a stone in front of the tomb so that no one would steal his body and put guards in front of it. That signet, if that was broken, people would know that someone messed with the punishment. And they made sure that nothing was there either way. Daniel was either going to die or he was going to live through the night with no one interfering. In verse 18... Uh, We see that the, the king is just distraught. He doesn't know what to do. Again, a good reminder for us, when we try to handle our problems on our own, we carry those burdens that we're not meant to carry. We're meant to give those burdens to the Lord. He asks us for them. He says, I want your burdens. For him, it kept sleep from him. I'm sure many of you know what that feels like when you're worrying about something that's out of your control, when you're worrying about something that isn't meant for you to handle, you lose sleep over it. The king was experiencing that. He had no time for entertainment. It sounds like he had musicians that used to put him to sleep at night. It sounds like he was uh, the type of king that enjoyed having a, a fun night before resting. He couldn't have it. It was just not enjoyable. For us as believers, when we have one foot in the world sinning and one foot knowing our relationship with Christ, life is not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's hard to enjoy entertainment. It's not fun to watch the Super Bowl. It won't be fun for us either way because you guys are Broncos fans. But for many people, it's not fun to watch the Super Bowl when you're sinning. It's a good distraction usually, you know, from life's problems, but at the end of the day, when the Super Bowl's over, you put your head on, on your pillow, you're gonna remember exactly what you did. And if you haven't given it up to the Lord, it's gonna keep you awake up at night. It's gonna keep you awake up at night. For the king, who was experiencing this. It's a good warning for us a stark contrast to what Daniel had to experience. We don't hear anything from Daniel, except that he was thrown into the lion's den in verse 19. Um, In verse 19, uh, the king comes and he rises very early in the morning, he goes down to, with haste to the den of lions. And I wondered about this, I was like, why would he run so fast? Like, why does he care if Daniel's alive? Because technically the law was only, the only punishment was that they were thrown into the den of lions. That means the next day they could be brought back out which was rare. I mean, obviously when you're thrown into a den of lions, you're gonna be eaten. But for the king, he had this hope. He's like, there's a chance that Daniel's God saved him. And that means I can bring him out. That means he's free. That means the, he's served his punishment of being thrown in there and he survived. So he runs down, he makes haste in verse 19. And when he came to the den, he cries out with a loud voice, a lamenting voice, because he's expecting to hear nothing. And all of a sudden Daniel comes out and he says, oh king, live forever. And wouldn't that be such a glorious if you put yourself in the position of the king? Your mistake didn't have the consequence you were expecting. And I think that's the grace of God. Because very easily, the king could have lost one of his most trusted advisors, one of his most trusted governors, the one that he was ready to put in front of the whole realm. But by the grace of God, on Daniel's life, he kept him alive. And Daniel understood exactly why he was alive. He understood why he was able to speak back to the king. It was because it was his God. It was because he was innocent before his God. It was because he was innocent before the king. And to me, that brings me a lot of comfort because our God is a just judge. And Psalm 7, uh, 11, it speaks about God being a just judge. And it's true. Whether or not you're dealing with something or a situation or a difficulty in your life today, just know that God's just. And you may be completely in the right. You may be like Daniel, doing everything right, but Satan's just playing dirty and you feel like you've been wronged. God's just. God's just and whoever's against you is gonna be taken care of. Says in verse, uh, pick up with me again, in verse 23, says, now the king was exceedingly glad, which makes sense, for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Verse 24, our God's a just judge, remember this. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den." Now, that takes away the theory that maybe these lions just weren't vicious and they were maybe just cubs or maybe they just weren't up for it. The lions were very hungry, they were vicious lions. And when those accusers, when those governors, when those satraps were thrown in, they weren't just thrown in and eaten. They were destroyed and crushed before they hit the bottom. And I'm thinking, because I brought this up in the pastor's meeting today, we have a Wednesday morning meeting. I was, I was just wondering, I was like, I wonder how they threw Daniel in the lion's den. I wonder if he was lowered. I wonder if he crawled down a ladder. I wonder if they just tossed them in. Because if they tossed them in, think about the lions in this verse. They were, as they were being tossed, as they were falling to the bottom, they get, they get, I mean, this takes a movie. If we were making a movie, it would be from G, you know, pretty well, all the way to a rated R really quick with one scene. Like these lions absolutely destroy them, crush their bones before they hit the ground. Families, like, I I mean, I just can't picture that. I try to picture it, but I don't want to. That's the the judgment they had coming upon them. I think of Haman, when he tried to kill Mordecai, Esther's um, uncle, he developed these hang, or this, um, the gallows to hang Mordecai, and he ends up being hung on those same gallows. I think of these guys, when they try to mess with God's anointed, they have this grand plan of sending them into the den of the lions. They themselves get thrown into the den of the lions. Not only them though, but their families and their kids. And I think that's also a good reminder for us because our sin affects more than just us. Their sin affected more than just them. Their sin affected their families. Their sin affected their wives, which are a part of their families, but different in a way that, like I wonder if their wives expected it. I wonder if their kids expected to be thrown into a lion's den that day. You're like, well, that seems so harsh. It was the culture in the day. That's what they did, that was the punishment. And I guarantee you that when these men, when these governors, when these satraps were making this grand plan, in their mind they had won, in their mind they were gonna get more power and authority, they had no idea that later that day, the next day I should say, later the next day they would be thrown in with their families. I guarantee you that wasn't a thought on their mind. And often when we sin, we don't think of the consequences. Or maybe we do and we kind of calculate them in. I can take this hit. But in reality, it hits more than just you. It hits your family, it hits those around you, hits that sphere of influence. So be mindful, it's a good reminder for us. Pride is always destructive. We see that in the king's life. We see that he can't work to fix it. We see that God has grace on him. But we also see that because of Daniel's witness, because of God's faithfulness, because you know, God never, he has the best testimony. When we think of God and how he works in our lives, he has the best testimony of any of us. Yes, we can be used by God to lead people to salvation. You could be a faithful Daniel in your life, but no one's gonna beat God's testimony. No one's gonna beat the grace of God. No one's gonna beat the mercy of God. No one's gonna beat the testimony that God has in your life. And for God, he, he shows that because he came in in a way that he didn't have to. He could have let Daniel die. He could have allowed that to happen, but he didn't. He instead used this opportunity to to strike the king in such a way that it melted his heart. And we'll see that later, because if you pick up with me in verse 25, it says that King Darius wrote, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And remember, this is the world power at the time. So he's writing to his kingdom. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power, and who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Verse 28, so this Daniel prospered, in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The testimony that you and I have, the testimony of the Lord, is so powerful. It took a king to see this firsthand, to understand not only who God was, but the power that he possessed. And I love it because it's like he proclaimed the gospel to everyone in his kingdom. You know, he describes God as one who delivers and rescues And isn't that so true about the characteristics of God? And yes, he got to see Daniel literally delivered and literally rescued from the lions. But he was proclaiming this to a a people that had never known or never seen or never heard. And he had the authority and the power to be able to spread spread the gospel throughout his kingdom. And to me, that amazes me. It amazes me that God could use a captive, a kid, who was taken from his homeland because he was smart and good looking and bring him to the courts of the kings and use his life in a place where I'm sure many people would have failed. They would have not gone to the Lord right away. But Daniel didn't, he kept his cool, he went to the Lord, he prayed, he he showed that he could trust in his God because he knew who his God was. God delivers him and now he's a witness. He's not just a witness to the king. He's not just a witness to those governors and those satraps who who knows what happened before they were thrown into the den of lions. We might see one of them in heaven. Doubtful, but we might. We don't know what the kind of witness Daniel had, but we do know that it affected the king. And the king, with the power and the authority that he had, went throughout the nation sharing the gospel and the characteristics of the God that we get to serve today. It's so essential for us to remember that our witness is so important Sin can ruin it. Our compromise can cloud it. But ultimately, the Lord is the one holding you responsible for it. He's giving you the choices. He's giving you the strength through the Holy Spirit uh, to keep it. He's giving you the opportunities and the ability to seek him. The promises in his word are true. But it's up to us to, to pursue it. It's up to us to, to believe it. And for those of you who are, who are kind of struggling, like you're thinking of those times where your witness just wasn't good, there's still grace for you. There's still grace for me. We're gonna fail. The Lord knows that we're just dust. He says that in Psalms. He understands our weakness. Does he condone it and say, yes, because you're weak, go ahead, sin, sin, sin some more? No, of course not. But he understands when you don't hit the mark every time. And that's why he came to die for you and I. So as we leave tonight, I really hope that you just remember the peace that we have available to us is always presented during difficult times. And it's up to us to choose to choose that peace, to trust in the Lord, to have our hope settled in him so that he can use that witness for his glory. Because ultimately our lives are here for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for men like Daniel. And I thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in the promises of your word. I thank you for your characteristics, God. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for setting the example. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us tonight as we head out, that you would remind us of those promises, that you would remind us of our dependency on you. Lord, that we wouldn't try to be the king. We wouldn't try to be Darius and handle our life's issues, Lord, with our works or try to figure out a way to escape our consequences, Lord. I pray that we would seek you. We would lay out our our difficulties, our troubles, Lord. We'd lay out those things that stress us out, those things that we know we have a choice to make, Lord. I pray that we would choose you. We choose to give those burdens back to you. I thank you, God, for giving us your word, and I thank you for having a desire to have a relationship with us. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of those sweet times I wanna open this up to those who are here and also those on the radio and, and watching online. Um, if you're here tonight and you don't have that relationship, if you're here tonight and you're missing out on what it means to, to know you have a God you can trust in, to know that you can have uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding, it doesn't make sense why, why Daniel was so calm, except that he had a God that gave him that peace. If you're here tonight, I would love to see you after service, I would love to see you stand, but I really can't see. But if there's someone here tonight that you just wanna accept the Lord, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would love to lead you in that prayer right now. If you're wondering if if you should stand, if maybe you're nervous, you know, the Bible says if you proclaim God before men, he'll proclaim you before his father. But if you're still nervous and that's still not enough to to have you stand tonight, uh, please come up after service to the front. We'd love to lead you in that relationship so that you don't have to leave here tonight wondering if you're covered by the blood. Is there anyone here? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the relationship that you have opened up to us through your son, Jesus. Protect us as we head out. Lord, protect those who are gonna be driving home, Lord, from the ice and that you just have your hand on our church, Lord, those who are right now driving in it, listening on the radio, Lord. Pray for my dad, heal him up. But most importantly, Lord, I pray for our lives. I pray that they would be a bright, shining witness for you, that they would bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.